Hello, welcome to the second episode of the podcast by Houston Interpreters and Translators Association. This is Nora De Palma and Veronica De Michelis. We have a very special guest today, a highly experienced and well-known freelance conference interpreter and court interpreter, Mr. Tony Rosado, who will soon visit us in Houston for his workshop, Solving the Mystery. What do all those terms mean? Held on the 6th of October, please visit the HITA webpage for more information under events. And we will also include the link to more information about this event in our show notes. Welcome, Tony. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me with you guys. And uh, I really want to thank Hita, and I want to say hi to all of our friends and colleagues in the Houston area. Thank you, Tony. We're really excited about seeing you in Houston soon. And thanks for finding time to join us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Tony, can you say a few words about yourself and your career? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I have been working as a freelance interpreter since 1985, so it's probably longer than many of the people listening to this podcast have been around on the planet, uh, and that has given me quite a few experiences and learning opportunities, both as a, a court interpreter and as a conference interpreter. Uh, I began my career as a court interpreter, and later on, I started uh, doing the transition towards conference interpreting and also teaching interpreting both court and conference interpreting. Um, I uh, have a law degree from uh, Escuela Libre de Derecho in Mexico City, and then I have a, a master's of a comparative law uh, degree from uh, the Columbia University in New York City. Uh, and I have had uh, many different trainings, uh, classes, and courses as an uh, interpreter, both conference and uh, uh, court interpreting. Uh, I have worked in many different fields, uh, both as an employee or staff interpreter and then as a freelancer. Uh, I have been teaching for many years, among other places. I have been teaching interpreting at the, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California, and at several different universities in the United States, Mexico, Spain, and Lebanon. Uh, I have written uh, a couple of uh, court interpreting books, one in English and one in Spanish about the U.S. and Mexican legal systems respectively, and I am the author of the quite popular uh, interpreting blog, The Professional Interpreter's Blog, uh, that appears once a week. And we'll include the link to your blog in our show notes, too. I highly recommend everyone to subscribe and to read it. So when you were starting out, Tony, what was the one piece of advice that you wish someone would have given you? Oh, the first piece of advice that nobody gave me and I had to figure out by myself and would have been a gold would be to know from the beginning that in this field, we are competing not just against professionals, but you are competing also against uh, paraprofessional and uh, amateur people who believe that because they are bilingual and sometimes even quasi-bilingual, they are qualified to be interpreters. And since there are no requirements in many of the interpreting areas to work neither in the United States nor in many other countries, then you have this kind of competition. And at the beginning, uh, I was not prepared for that. I expected to compete against my peers, and it was a big surprise to learn that you were competing against just about everybody and their brother. What made you decide to become a professional court conference interpreter? 
Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, I guess I always knew that I was going to be an interpreter. I grew up in a family that comes from a diplomatic background. So I knew about interpreting all my life. Uh, I was around people who spoke many languages all my life. Uh, and it was always fascinating to me to see how people that did not speak the same language could communicate with each other, have debates, have agreements and disagreements, and eventually uh, being able to be on the same uh, level of uh, fairness, even though they didn't speak the same language. So from the beginning, I knew I wanted to be an interpreter. Now, my other uh, very big interest in my youth, besides interpreting, was the legal field. So I decided to go to a law school to really learn everything I could about the legal system and to learn how to think and act as an attorney in order to hopefully uh, marry these two big passions of my life and first become a court interpreter and later on a conference diplomatic interpreter. So you must definitely have uh, a lot of interesting stories to share from your long career. So we'd be curious to hear uh, what was the most challenging situation that you've encountered and what was the most rewarding one? Well, yeah, I have a lot of uh, really interesting experiences. Unfortunately, some of them I cannot share with you guys due to confidentiality. But uh, some of them come to mind as far as uh, really challenging things. I can think of a couple of them because of different circumstances. One, because uh, of the physical uh, obstacles that I had to overcome to do a good job. And the other one, because of the tremendous pressure uh, due to the audience that was uh, listening to my rendition. The first one uh, was uh, the first time that I interpreted a big a live uh, ultimate fighting championship event. Uh, so this was a big arena with over 30,000 people in attendance. And uh, I don't know if some of the listeners have ever watched a UFC or a boxing match for that matter, but the arena is packed. And what happens is that when the fighters and their corner do not speak the language, then uh, it is interpreted for the broadcast so that people at home uh, can uh, listen and enjoy uh, what is being discussed as far as, far as strategy. Well, when you're in an arena like that and you have the humongous uh, noise coming both from the audience and also from the music and all the other recordings that are constantly playing in between rounds, it becomes very challenging to be able to listen, not just to what's going on in the corner, but also to the indications and the directions from the producers, because you have to be listening to both at the same time. So it requires of tremendous uh, concentration and a real uh, determination to isolate and totally focus my mind on what I was looking at at that corner specifically and ignore everything else, all the uh, noise, all the music, all the chants, and be able to do this at, while at the same time listening to the producer because you have a very limited period of time to talk. It's about uh, one minute just in between rounds. That is one, as far as the uh, physical difficulties uh, to be able to do the rendition. As far as uh, the uh, very difficult situation uh, because of the audience, that just happened, uh, incidentally, uh, a few months ago, this same year, when I was attending a conference 
for interpreters and translators in, a, in another country. And uh, during the conference, they had scheduled a panel, a roundtable, with several speakers. Uh, some of the speakers had interpreting assigned to them because it was known that they did not speak the language of the host country. But there, were also, there was also one more uh, individual a very famous personality in our environment who was uh, going to join the panel. And uh, at the beginning, it was thought that this person was just going to sit there. But then later on, it was decided that uh, this uh, person was to participate actively speaking and debating during the round table. The problem is that they did not have any interpreters for him. Well, it just happens that uh, the night before, uh, another colleague and myself had been having dinner uh, with this individual on a very informal setting as part of one of the events of this conference, and we had been talking for a long, long time. So what happened is that at the time of the roundtable meeting the following day, uh, once that they realized uh, two minutes before the meeting started in a packed auditorium that they did not have interpreting services in place for this individual, the individual uh, on his way to the stage just turned to the two of us, my colleague and I who had been dining with him the night before, we were sitting on the front row and he just looked at us and said, hey, why don't you guys join me up on stage? You can interpret for me tonight. We just looked at each other, my colleague and I, and uh, we were put on a spot where we could not say no. Uh, it was uh, said, oh, don't worry, it's going to be a very simple uh, simultaneous interpreting thing. You will be able to just do a whisper interpreting into the uh, ear of this dignitary, and that's it. Well, once we were on stage, he turned around to us and said, well, I'm going to talk for a while, and it's going to be consecutive. You guys don't mind, do you? We looked at each other, we're already on stage, and that was not a point when we could just get up and leave. So we stayed, and we decided to do this, and it was a tremendous pressure because we were sitting in front of our peers. We had all the main uh, conference interpreters from many countries in the world, from AIC, from some other uh, associations in Europe. Well, I guess I already gave up the location of the conference. Unfortunately, it went okay, but it was a very challenging situation because we were interpreting in front of our peers, and we all know how uh, picky uh, our interpreters and how prone to criticize each other our colleagues are. So uh, that was a ter tremendous challenge. We overcame it, and I think we came out at the other end with flying colors but it's definitely something that will stay with me forever. Uh, those are two of the most uh, challenging and uh, rewarding experiences that I've had in my career. Very interesting, uh, Tony. <laughs> Very exciting. What changes would you like to see in our profession in the near future? The biggest change that I would like to see in my lifetime is the total professionalization of our uh, craft. Uh, I would like to see if once and for all, all the paraprofessionals out of the scene and just uh, have real court, healthcare, community, conference, uh, electronic media, uh, military, conflict zone, and all other fields professional interpreters. I would like to see people with college degrees, even though at the beginning it might not be a college uh, degrees in interpreting, at least people with a college degree on something, uh, 
doing the profession. It's just so much easier to have a good rendition when you have somebody researching for the job who knows how to research, who knows how to study, because that person has gone at least through a bachelor's degree at the college level. So I would like to see the professionalization that way. I would like to see the professionalization as far as the agencies both private and language providing agencies, uh, government agencies, as well as uh, our peers to not uh, uh, to hire or accept anybody that is not a professional. And for that reason, have a more educated, uh, picky clientele who will not settle for anything short of good rendition, regardless of the language combination they are hiring. I couldn't agree more, Tony. And I know that on your blog and uh, in social media, you often uh, write about this not being an industry. I'd like to hear uh, a little more about this and what, what you think we should communicate about um, our profession. Uh, I think that's a tremendously important point. Uh, unfortunately, for the last uh, decade and a half, two decades, uh, we've been uh, uh, the target of so many multinational uh, corporations who at the beginning were not even in the uh, language service providing business or even if they were, that was a very small part of their uh, agenda. Uh, and it started to grow and grow and grow to the point that there are now all these multi-billion uh, dollar businesses uh, worldwide who are providing both translating and interpreting services that they sell as excellent in quotation marks, uh, professional in quotation marks to their client at a very low cost, uh, trying to distract the client uh, by uh, taking their attention span towards the technology they are selling, towards the uh, whistles and smoke and mirrors that they are dressing their service in uh, and kind of uh, making them forget a little bit about the quality of the rendition that is about the human element of interpreting. They are doing this as if they were dealing with a commodity and they are treating both translators and interpreters as commodities. In other words, the important thing is not that I'm going to hire Veronica as my interpreter. The important thing is that I'm going to have a person there uh, doing the job period. Uh, and if that person is not able to do it because uh, she can't, she doesn't want to, or she won't work for the pay that I'm offering, I will just uh, substitute that person and replace uh, him or her with a different so-called interpreter. Uh, this uh, reminds me of uh, the work of a factory, and they are calling it specifically an industry because in an industry, a factory picture comes to mind where you have the laborers working, and when a laborer uh, quits, is fired, calls in sick, or just uh, goes on strike, the person is easily replaced by another laborer. When you are uh, considered and depicted as a laborer, you start thinking of yourself as a laborer, and pretty soon you start accepting labor conditions as a laborer as far as how you're going to work, your interpreting assignment, the pay you're going to get, and so on. My background is professional. I worked many years among uh, attorneys, and I still do. I have worked with many other professionals, physicians, accountants, engineers, and so on. And they have never, ever thought of themselves as laborers. They have always considered themselves professionals. They act professional. They charge 
for their services as professionals. And uh, society never doubts or never puts in question their qualifications as professionals. Nobody would ever dare to try to pay to them as laborers. And that's because there's a mindset and because of that mindset, there's an action taken by the professional to sell uh, their craft as professionals. And I think that's what we are lacking. We are not uh, presenting ourselves as professionals. When you present yourself and your service as a professional individual and service, you command professional fees. You are not paid just uh, any uh, rock bottom amount like some of these companies uh, pay. You don't call uh, what you get from your service other than a fee, uh, is not uh, called by any other name because uh, any other names are not corresponding to a professional service. And I rather see myself holding a briefcase instead of holding a, a wrench or a hammer because uh, what we do, uh, nothing against the people that work in a factory or that are laborers, but the kind of work that we do is a professional type. It's an intellectual work that requires a lot of preparation, a lot of study, and that uh, because of the level that you do your work at is a personal professional work. If it's going to be your birthday and you hire, uh, I don't know, Placido Domingo to sing happy birthday to you, and the day of your birthday, instead of Placido Domingo, the agency sends me, and I can't even sing with a karaoke machine, you're going to be very disappointed. Why? Because that's a professional service and you wanted Placido Domingo to sing you happy birthday. It is the same with interpreting. When you are hiring an interpreter, you are hiring a professional individual, an individual, that person to provide the service and not just any warm body. So I feel very strongly about this. I think that these multinational uh, companies want us to think of ourselves as laborers. That's why they keep on hammering the fact that this is an industry, but this is not an industry. This is a profession. They have a role to play that is an industrial role, but that is not the service of interpreting. Like I've always say, there can be interpreting without interpreting agencies, but there cannot be interpreting without interpreters. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much for this insight and explanation, Tony. Do you plan on writing another book? Well, it's interesting that you ask that uh, because just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was discussing with uh, my co-authors of my last uh, book on court interpreting according to the Mexican legal system, the possibility of, uh, again, having a collaboration for another uh, interpreting book. And it's already in the works and it's probably going to come out towards the second half of next year. It's going to be about interpreting ethics which I think is long due and really needed. And uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting book. Also, another thing that is right now in the process of happening is uh, uh, the publication in the format of a book and some of the most popular uh, selected posts uh, that I have been writing in my, in my blog. The blog's been around for almost nine years and there are a lot of uh, posts that are quite interesting and some others that were very popular even though I was the first one surprised uh, to see how popular they were. So we're kind of compiling, uh, classifying, and selecting some of them, and we're going to put them together and publish them as a book as well. Very nice. Very exciting. What are your favorite books and resources for court and conference interpreters? Okay. Uh, well, I have several. And if you don't mind, I'm going to talk about the court ones first and then about the conference. 
regarding court interpreting, uh, I would suggest to our colleagues that are just starting in the profession, and maybe to some of them that want to hone their skill a little bit, basically a book that I think is very useful called The Bilingual Courtroom uh, by Susan Berg Seligson. I think that's a very useful book because it explains from the perspective of an interpreter step-by-step step what to do. And speaking of that, I think that it's also uh, very interesting uh, and essential, and that's part of what the workshop in Houston is going to be for our court interpreters to be able to really understand the concepts that they are supposed to interpret. And a lot of our colleagues, first of all, do not come from legal background, and second, some of them come from countries where the legal system is very different from the United States. They come from written legal system uh, countries where the trials are done in writing and when we don't have this adversary system that we know in the States. So for that, I suggest a book called Introduction to Common Law by the Ruth Gamis and Fernando Cuñado. These are a couple of great uh, colleagues from Spain who have written a very comprehensive book that compares the written system of Spain which is basically just like any other written system that comes from Roman law and from the French civil law system. And they compare it separately to the British common law and to the United States legal system. So you have a triple comparison here. And I have found the book that, uh, to be very, uh, very informative and very easy to read for those who are not lawyers. And of course, I would be remiss if I don't suggest as part of my court interpreting list, uh, my two books, uh, The New Professional Court Interpreter, which is my uh, court interpreting manual for the new court interpreters according to the U.S. legal system. And then my book uh, entitled Manual del Interprete Judicial en México, which is my uh, court interpreting book uh, based on the new legal system in Mexico that just did the transition a few years ago from the written system to the oral system like the one we have in the United States. Then, as far as conference interpreting, I could recommend a book uh, titled uh, Conference Interpreting Explained by Roderick Jones. That's a very useful uh, book for the newcomers as well. Also, another book that I like a lot is uh, the book called Interpretation Techniques and Exercises by my good friend and colleague James Nolan. The book is very uh, complete and is written from the perspective of somebody who spent so many years working at different international organizations. It's, it has great exercises. It's a great practice companion. Also, conference interpreting the complete course of Benjamin's is a very a very good book. And finally, and I think that this uh, applies to both court and conference interpreters, even though actually the book was written for translators, but it applies to everybody that works in the interpreting profession as well. The, Pro the Prosperous Translator by Chris Durban. That will really show people and teach people how to think about themselves, what they need to do to achieve excellence and how to sell their services commanding a professional fee. I think that those are my favorite books. Thank you so much for sharing. We'll include links to them in our show notes too. So um, speaking about your upcoming workshop in Houston, what are the main takeaways that the participants can look forward to? The first thing is that the all court interpreters, well, all interpreters in general, but speaking of our workshop in Houston next month, I have to say that all court interpreters need to really understand everything that is being said in the courtroom 
in order to do a good job at interpreting it because we cannot interpret what we did not understand. And by understanding here, I am going beyond just knowing the meaning or the translation of the words. It's not an exercise of going word by word and transferring one word into the other language, the uh, target language. It's about listening to the concept, understanding the context of what's going on in the courtroom, understanding what is being tried, what the position of one of the parties is, what the position of the other party is, what the strategies are, and then assimilating that, uh, really knowing what's going on, and then finding the best way to interpret into the target language for the attorneys, the judge, the defendant, the plaintiff, uh, the victim, the witness, that person that does not speak the language that is spoken in the court, in this case, English. Because that way, once that you understand something, you'll be able to transfer it the right way into the other language using the appropriate terminology in the appropriate context and finding the same legal figure in the other language or at least the most similar if there is not such a thing as the same one in, in the target language. So I think that the only way to do a good job as court interpreters is understanding this. Oftentimes during my career, I have been talking to some of my colleagues that just uh, worked a very interesting trial or hearing. And uh, in my curiosity as an attorney and also as a court interpreter, I have often asked, so what happened during your hearing today? What did the attorney say? What was the ruling from the judge? And the answer usually is, oh, nothing today was boring. It was nothing but motions, you know, just legal lingo, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Tomorrow is a good day because tomorrow we will have a witness on the stand. And I often uh, am left speechless when I hear an answer like this because to me, the main thing as an interpreter, is to understand what happens when they are discussing the law, when they are arguing strategy, because that is where you win or you lose a case. The cases are not won or lost when you have a witness on the stand. That's for TV and for the movies. A case is won or lost when a judge or a court rules on what evidence will be allowed, what evidence will be excluded from a trial. And attorneys have to argue really important legal precedent and statute to persuade the judge to go their way or to go against their counterparty. So to me, that is the essential part of, uh, of the process of legal interpreting. So when I hear this, I have arrived to the conclusion that that is because my colleagues don't pay attention to what's been said during these hearings because they did not understand it, not because they are dumb, but because they have never uh, been exposed to those concepts. So what we're going to try to do uh, when we are solving the mystery in Houston is to finally uh, lift this uh, question mark on a lot of the things that interpreters hear every day, but they don't quite understand. For example, why do attorneys offer evidence when it is not for the truth of the matter? That sounds like uh, just a waste of time. Well, we will explain what happens and why they do that. Uh, we're going to talk about the dead man statute. Why is there a statute for somebody that is already dead? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the difference between uh, citizenship and nationality. 
the difference between uh, being a refugee and uh, being an asylee that is right now on fashion all over the world. We're going to talk about the difference between quashing and canceling a bench warrant. So we're going to talk about a lot of concepts that our colleagues hear every day, but they really do not understand what they are about. The difference between sentence and verdict is another one that comes to mind. What is a trust? Who are the parties to a trust? What is a bankruptcy process? What happens in an inheritance case? So what is the difference between to bequeath something by will uh, and to devise something by will. We're going to talk about all these uh, concepts then, and once that we uh, leave that workshop, our colleagues are going to leave with a lot of tools as far as written resources, a glossary that is going to explain more what we just discussed, but more importantly, with a method, with a strategy as to how to understand and comprehend what happened during the courtroom hearing, and also how to research those concepts that they heard and they didn't quite understand so that next time that they come around, they are prepared to do a perfect rendition. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Tony. We're really excited to see you in Houston soon, and we hope that a lot of our listeners will join us. Just wanted to thank you for, for joining us today, and I look forward to meeting you on um, October 6th. First of all, thank you, Nora, and thank you, Veronica, for having me here during the podcast. I am very excited. I'm very happy to join you in Houston. I have a lot of good friends and colleagues that have been interpreting for a long time and some newcomers also in the Houston metropolitan area. So I'm looking to uh, share uh, this uh, Saturday with a lot of good friends and colleagues and also to make a lot of new friends and colleagues. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's not just about learning, it's about having a lot of fun. And I guarantee you, you're going to live happy because you're going to have a good time during all those hours that Saturday. That sounds perfect. Thank you, Tony. You're more than welcome. If you have ideas or requests for future episodes, please contact us at development at hitagroup.org or editor at hitagroup.org. Thanks and have a great day.